0: Hey folks, this week on a podcast, New York based fashion photographer, educator, and entrepreneur, Justin Bridges, joins us to talk about how to price photo projects as an amateur, semi-pro, and professional photographer. From his experiences working with clients such as Giorgio Armani, Saks Fifth Avenue, and GQ, he offers a detailed insight into pricing strategies. forget what we're
1: talking about but i'm down to talk about it in the day,
0: so. <laughs> i know i didn't really spec- uh, specify what we we're going to be covering but um I, I don't mean to put you on a spot but i think nah, it's, it's okay it's one of those things where it keeps coming up and i feel like i've listened to a bunch of podcasts i think a, a handful of people have like really addressed the topic properly where it's like you know it's different when you're addressing something in written form versus podcast um, mm-hmm. so my thought was how can you provide um a sense of value in a podcast form on pricing? And it seems to be like a really challenging thing, um, at least for the few people who have like continued to like bring that up. Yeah. So uh in my head, I figured the best way to go about that is like figuring out how to break down um the conversation into the early creative who has no experience whatsoever. Um, the mid amateur practitioner and then the pro. So for sure. I think that would probably help. Just kind of like let's talk about how an early photographer you were once in that position. Um, photographer or creative or whatever. It doesn't have to be, yeah. you know, photography, but that's that's what you do. Um, a good way to talk about how to set your rates. Um Price projects and just things of that nature. We can be very off the cuff here. It's, uh, I think it's it's going to be better that way.
1: Yeah, we can flow. Uh, I mean, you're asking a a pretty hard and difficult question. It's
0: hard. I know, (laughs) which really a lot of people kind of skip and generalize and you know butter all over it. (laughs) Totally.
1: I mean, it, it really does start from a place of you know, first understanding your worth and being able to pinpoint that. And I know that's going to sound very general. Um, But when I what I mean by worth in this creative space is, am I good at what I do? Do I have any experience? Uh, Can I step in here? If I stepped in here as a a full-time player, would I be a junior on the desk? Would I be a senior on the desk? Or would I be somebody that would manage others? And I think unless you have a real, um, unless you have a real, sort of understanding of what that is, then you're always going to be sort of throwing darts at a board blindfolded. Yeah. So starting there, I know you said, let's start with sort of like the, the premier amateur right out of, you know, right out of either school or right out of, you know, quitting assisting for somebody or learning from somebody. Um, I often find that this piece is all about sort of networking and, and checking out other places where you can get some sort of Price uh, transparency. Mm. So there's obviously, like, I'll I'll speak from the photographer perspective. When I was coming up, uh, I I worked with some other photographers. Like we we would like run on projects together. We'd be outside fashion with shooting together. And after you get to know somebody, it gets a little bit more comfortable being like, hey, by the way, how much you know would you charge for this type of project, or how much did you? And you sort of start to feel your way through like what other people are doing while you're trying to ask those questions. You also have to be able to gauge what their skill level is too. Mm. Uh, and their, their level of expertise, because there are certain people that probably make way under what they should be getting made uh, made, And there are people that are, are good at finessing too. So, you know, you're (laughs) always going to have a range of sort of outcomes that you're going to receive, but I think sort of, First, it starts with trying to reach out to your network and understand what similar creators are getting paid. And there's always going to be somebody willing to talk about how they think about their money. Yeah. Uh, you just might have to talk to a couple people. And you'll also be surprised if you don't, if you're not afraid to ask questions and build that relationship. Yeah. People are way, way more open than you'd expect. So that's like sort of the soft version. Yeah. I think uh one of the more interesting things is like as we've seen the proliferation of platforms, there are so many more. Uh, tools out there that allow you access to get price transparency or at least get recommendations now here's the caveat anytime there are there is price transparent transparency excuse me uh it is no longer an opaque market which means prices always uh end up at the lowest possible rate mm. oftentimes yeah uh, i'm digging into a little bit of my trader background too but this is how i've seen it pan out in most observa- uh, observational data is like when we're talking about prices all day, all night, um, ultimately, or when companies are showing you, hey, we took a survey, blah, blah, blah. Ultimately, you're going to start seeing the bottom tier, or at least the average down to the bottom. And the outliers at the top are going to be smashed down, or you're going to see them and, and you're never going to feel comfortable going after them yourself. So price transparency, tra- tra- I can't talk today. Uh, <laughs> price transparency is a great thing. But it also doesn't always solve the problem. So you're we're taking a bunch of Lego pieces and trying to build a castle or trying to build a, a figurine or whatever. So yeah. um, starting with the soft stuff, um, in terms of giving more concrete uh, platforms, like Wethos was a company that I was doing a little advisement for, um, and right. I also did some speaking for. They they have a way to set up your studio online. They sort of function as like the bank that's plugged into your studio, yeah. allows you to do AP and all that other stuff. But they actually show different prices on, I mean, this is more helpful for people that have through design illustration graphics, you know, that kind of stuff. I've seen a lot of their Um, stuff is really good. Yeah. Really good. Right. So there's that, there's also joining communities. Like uh, there's another community that I'm a membership advisor um, advisory board member called freelance founders. And you know, that one, you, I think you have to apply and then there's, they let people in uh, by quarter. Mm. But I mean, just the more and more you can get exposure to other people that are running the same race as you the better off you're going to be yeah there's no way around that unfortunately
0: that's really good that's really good i think um it's probably the first time i've actually like heard networking as part of pricing like laying the foundation for your pricing as like a a networking activity um because i think a lot of us kind of like stay in our you know, little bubbles and we feel like, oh, well, I have to, like, figure out how to set a, you know, good price and not have to, like, encroach in anyone's space and not have people encroaching on mine. Um, that's really. And you also good.
1: think about, you also think too much about, I think, one of the problems that burdens the freelancer is they're thinking about competition, too. So if I ask this other copywriter, if I ask this other photographer, they're gonna think like I'm in their space and yes. I'm saying ta- and it's and it and most of the time it's not like that at all because I can't take your business if you're good at what you do. <laughs> <laughs> I can't right. take your client, you know right. what I'm saying? So it it's really is about the building relationships and um I mean think about how you get ahead, get ahead in anything other outside of freelance, right? Yeah. Like we mostly get our jobs based on the fact that we know a person. So, so how else can we navigate this world without a little help?
0: Yeah. You're right. You're right. Um so for the for the new beginner who's trying to really start to get, you know, into the industry, trying to get clients, um what model would you advise? Um is it the hourly rate? Is it the um project-based rate? Is it the day rate? Like, you know, of course it's going to depend on what kind of work uh work you're being booked for, but what should people start thinking about in terms of how to set their rates? And maybe you can give like a concrete example from your early um, experience.
1: Sure. I will say off top, I am not a, fa- a fan of hourly rates. Now, this does have caveats, obviously. Um, you know, I've seen copywriters that charge by the hour. It's always, they always charge for more hours, but they always, I see copywriters charge by the hour, I've seen people, obviously, writers charged by the word. There are different ways that people do things across different sectors, of course. But ultimately, I love project rates with boundaries mm. because it allows you to accomplish the work in whatever time you need to do. So, you know, as a as a photographer that has to show up. I'm going to charge a project rate and usage and all these other things that go on a production uh, invoice. Yeah. But as somebody that's like, Hey, I'm a graphic designer. I have deliverables to give a client. And this is sort of a schedule that happens sometimes as a graphic designer and I'm making this stuff up, but as a graphic designer, you, you have certain clients that are more sophisticated, or less sophisticated, yes. some that will ask for a lot of revisions, some will ask for more. And so like, you might be the type of guy or girl or woman or whatever that, um, that can like bust through like the first two revisions and yeah. it took you five hours and some other graphic designer took them 20 hours. I'm just making that up. Yeah. And so I can guarantee you a client's not going to want to pay you 20 hours if they think they can get it done in seven, yep. but they will pay you a project rate. And it's just assume that you're taking a lot of time to work on their stuff. Yeah. So I that, that's like one example, but I think project rates and or pricing to the scope and the client is going to be the most advantageous thing you can do and just skip the hourly stuff because hourly also gives the client an ability to, um, manipulate how much they want to pay you, which is annoying as hell. Yeah. Oh, how, how many hours have you put in this week? You know what, next week, let's make it four. Right. Um, and also I still want you to see if you can slip in the same amount of work. Like it's just, it's just a, it's just a can of worms, honestly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've heard um, from uh, someone I listen to very religiously on why hourly is also not a great thing, because if you've gotten to the point where you've become really good at what you do, um, I sit down with you when you first started for a portrait versus Mm -hmm. me sitting down with you in your position now for a portrait. You can probably nail a portrait in like 15 minutes as opposed to. 30 minutes, an hour when you first started. So like I'm being punished for being good.
1: <laughs> right, <laughs> so, right,
0: The hourly thing doesn't work there. Cause like all of my experience has been, you know, boiled into the 10, 15 minutes that I've been able to like reduce for you. Like I know you have places to be, so right. <laughs> um, you shouldn't be punished for that. And so that was like a brilliant way for, uh, to put it.
1: Absolutely. And There's, you know, there's, there's two, I think two good categories in this sort of more global pricing uh, mechanism, which is uh, there's the project rate and then there's the day rate Yeah. Uh, and some, uh, some, in many cases, the day rate is going to be more advantageous than the project rate. Because if you talk about a project and it spans over multiple weeks, you really have to guess all these like Mm. boundaries that you have to put in place. So that becomes a little, you know, challenging. So you could approach a client and say, look, this is my day rate this is how many days I think the project will take. Mm. And that sort of simplifies some of that stuff. Uh, As a photographer, there's like a lot of things that go into a a bid. It's the photographer, the crew, the usage, the pre-pro, the lighting, the equipment, the space, if you have your own. There's so many things that go into that. So, But we do all have sort of a a range of day rates that we sort of are comfortable pitching in front as sort of the base layer rate before adding on all the expenses. I actually spoke a little incorrectly. I don't know copywriters that do hourlies, but I do know copywriters that do project, uh, sorry, that do um, the day rate stuff. Gotcha. And they'll give somebody a day rate and then they'll be done in two hours, <laughs> you know? Interesting, so, yeah. all very advantageous stuff. And it's really not about taking advantage of the client. It's like, yeah. if I give you a day rate, you give me what you think is accomplishable and I'll get everything I can get accomplished in that day. And if it spills over, I'm going to flag it and tell you, hey, this is going to be an extra half a day or extra day. Um i'm thinking about uh as you were saying you know not getting yourself punished for charging by the hour um the other the other pricing mechanism that's sort of within this global scheme is the retainer type of conversation Mm. and basically i would say the more and more you layer up from a day rate to a project rate to a retainer rate there's also an upwards uh, upwards graph that says i need more and more and more boundaries So that's, Mm -hmm. that's sort of the way I think about pricing. Uh, It's not about the amount that you're getting paid. It's about the more, the more gray area about how I spend my time. The more I need to put boundaries on the client, because they're just going to think, well, I'm paying all this money. Uh, I need to also understand how you're spending your day. And no, you don't.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. I think that's what uh, some some people talk about. Uh, I think it's the risk that you're taking on as a creative versus the risk that the client is taking on. So the more risk they take on, the more they feel like they need to know exactly where all that money is being allocated to. That makes exactly. sense. Exactly. Um, they also,
1: I mean, also the thing is, you you don't want to give somebody a project rate without laying like those boundaries of. Firm deliverables, right? Yeah. Because somebody, every client that spends a lot of money, I actually, the clients that spend the least amount of money, honestly, are the worst. <laughs> but the <laughs> clients clients that spend money anyway, it's always hard earned money to them, or it's something yeah. they have to protect. So, you know, if you don't have those deliverables really matched out, somebody's always going to try to slide something in at mm-hmm. the goal line. They always do.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. Um, while we're still on the early photographer, is it possible to kind of talk about? Some, well, I guess we can, we can talk about that in the middle photographer area, because I feel like that'll kind of address the early and pro. Um, sure. So let's dig into the amateur, kind of like semi-pro uh, photographer. Um, all of the things that we just talked about in the early photographer applies, but what changes in terms of pricing, how to you know approach projects um, and deliverables? I
1: think this is less about a pricing conversation. And I would say you start to, when you start getting out of this um, low experience, low technical skill bucket and start moving into higher technical skill, more experience, all that kind of stuff. And a a bit of a portfolio of clients and people that make you look a little bit more sought after. Yeah. Then you're starting to have, I think getting better about Making money is more about how you develop your business acumen and less about how you develop your skill at that point. So, I I would say what really does change is you start to speak to the client in a way that you're not just solely um, concerned with the creative, Mm. and that that's going to that that's going to vary from client to client because some some people are going to hire you and they don't care about your opinion, they don't care about how you can add value, Mm. they just like something they saw and they put on their mood board and decided to reach out. Like there's yeah. certain clients that are like that and you just, you know, th- then the only change is I'm going to raise my fee and that's it. Right. Um, You know, also a thing that changes in terms of the money going up is like the more and more you're taking more detailed, more, I mean, larger production jobs, the more you're going to have to think about the other things that go on those line items. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're going to start bringing your own crew because you're going to have preferences. You're probably going to, you know, maybe have other people that are subcontractors for you. Like for instance, I I even, even in my middle range, I started outsourcing a lot of the more advanced retouching. And so I had to start scoping all those different pieces. And when I scope all those different pieces, I'm also trying to figure out how I can actually pad to make margin too. Mm. not only to pad, to make sure that there's no cost overlays that I have to eat, but also because like any other business, I have to make sure my margins are good. So I put extra money in the retouching. I put extra money in the equipment and all those things. You also start to get to an area where you're charging for your equipment, even though you already own it. Like yes. all those things you should, you should try to do when you're young, but sometimes you don't have the leverage to do, right? Yeah. And so when you start getting a little bit of that leverage and the client wants to work with you versus you begging to get the job, yeah. then you have to also start exerting some of those pressures
0: as well. This is literally what I wanted to talk about uh, with regards to what goes into a project. So, you know, the basic, you, uh, you've you been doing a lot of brand-based campaigns and projects recently, or, you know, your career uh, mostly. Um, what goes into producing one campaign for a brand? Um, you've mentioned a lot of those things, like making sure you account for the equipment, the you know producers, retouching. I want to go down like a list of things to like really think about, so people can like see what really goes into making um, a project come about. Making sure that it's not just like you with a camera and you know a studio.
1: Absolutely. I, I would think of it, maybe it's uh, four stages. Mm. It's like bidding, bidding negotiation. That's the first part. Mm. Uh, second stage would be pre-production. Once you've got the job, third part would be the actual production. And then the fourth part would be post-production. Yeah. So as a photographer that represents himself and doesn't have an agent, uh, I'm in the conversation about like rates and all that stuff. So every single project has some sort of p- preliminary call to gauge interest, to gauge availability. To understand rates scope of work all that kind of stuff and so i i field those calls usually have it either with the art director or a whole team or whatever uh and then we go back and forth i ask i try to ask as many questions as possible so i don't have to email them later and i can put together a, a, a estimate on the spot or within a, you know 24 48 hours yeah. within that range i this is an important part to your pricing conversation i always ask what the client has to spend mm. I, I don't say it like that but i always say hey You know, just so I have an idea or a ballpark range, it doesn't need to be exact, but is there already allocated budget uh, or allocated investment for photography? Does that, does that include all the factors, like everybody on my production sheet, or is that just for my day rate and, you know, whatever. So I ask as many questions as possible and never shy away from asking about money because that's what that person's there for. And that's why you're there too. There's Mm. always got to be an exchange. So they know it's coming and they're ready for it. Um, if, if it's a client that's worth anything, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, there's obviously a lot of crappy clients out there. Yeah. Um, so so that is uh, that is the bidding negotiation. There might be some back and forth. I would say 60 to 80% of my clients always say, hey, look, we were looking to land a little closer to this number. Can you do it? So assuming you guys land in the right price and um, and everybody's comfortable with getting the project kicked off, the next part is pre-production. Another area for which if the client isn't handling it themselves or handling most of it themselves, you should be charging a rate for, it should be less than your day rate. But you look, if you're going to spend your time doing stuff for the client on their behalf to get ready for a big shoot, that's your time, right? It's not just like, I just show up and shoot. What are some examples
0: of pre-production work?
1: Pre-production stuff could be like, if they're involving you in the casting, whether you're like directly uh, showing up for the casting and like sitting there with them as they work through talent and have talent come through casting from cards and actually showing your favorites, going, you know, reaching out to eight modeling agents um, location scouting is a pre-production thing. Um, Some clients are very organized and they want to have several calls because like either there's celebrity talent involved or there's like a, crazy set build and they need more insight along the way. I'm not saying you'll always get paid for certain sort of advice calls that are very limited, but if somebody's going to really lean on you heavily, that's a conversation you should at least be having, Mm. whether you get it or not, that's up to you, but you should at least try, you know? Um, So there's all a range of things that go into Um, pre-production. You know, just hiring your first assistant (laughs) in Digitech, that is not count as pre-production that's just the cost of doing business Hmm. but like the more the more client focused stuff that that is considered to be you know pre-production so you have that um let's see what else uh so reproduction happens and then um then obviously you do all the stuff that takes to get to your shoot date and then it's you know game on and then it's just like straight up experience time right Hmm. like um, or why say experience? Cause I have a full-time job. That's in experience. Uh, I meant to say then it's straight up production time. Yeah. And so, you know, you're, you're obviously like at that point, there's usually somebody on the client side that's dealing with the call sheet and making sure all the relevant parties, you know, a photographer at the very beginning is probably going to be organizing a bunch of stuff. But, uh, uh, when you get to mid and top tier, like usually uh, all that stuff is coming from the people that are doing the hiring and do it and cutting the bigger checks yeah so you know you'll just you'll you know so give the call sheet to your crew and all that stuff and you show up mm-hmm. and then the the junior photographer is going to be the type of person that's going to be a little less collaborative and the smart junior photographer is just going to be trying to achieve only the result the 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 client is set out because they're just trying to make them happy. Yeah. So as you were asking about pivot points, when you get to this medium and hopefully the upper range, the the more seasoned photographer is coming in, and you're not only the photographer, you're the collaborator, uh you're the you're the time manage the timekeeper and manager of the set. Mm. You're you're keeping people engaged on set, like the, you're you're managing humans, right? Like it's all about human capital at that point. Yeah, because if you don't have a productive, happy, upbeat, fun set, yeah. then you're not gonna get what you're what everybody's looking to achieve. And you're not, you're probably not gonna have somebody want to call you back. Right. So it becomes a lot for me, especially as a much more of an introvert type, like this has become the most you're an introvert. part of my job.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, nobody, nobody <laughs> believes big lie. I work
1: hard. <laughs> I work hard to hide it, dude. <laughs> um but yeah, so that part's the most draining part of it all. Yeah. Um And so, yeah, you're, you're, and I constantly am doing checks with the client throughout the day. Like, Hey, what did you, how'd you feel about this? You know, just making sure things are going as making sure they feel good about the process as well. It all goes a long way. So, uh, after production, obviously, whether it's a one day shoot or a three day shoot or whatever, then it's the post-production. So I usually, you would have already talked about post-production and pre-production. So you'll know whether or not you're, you know, buying a hard drive. Filling it with images, just giving it to the client. You'll know mm-hmm. whether or not you're sending low res to a client to make selects and you're then handing it off to a retoucher. You'll know all that stuff, but all that thing, all those things belong in post-production. So it's basically about putting a bow on the project. Final retouch images, whether you're handling or they're handling it, sending getting collecting all the invoices from your crew and W9s and just sending the final invoice to the client. Um, and then, you know, circling back with them to make sure everything's tied up on their end if they don't need anything from you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And that's practically it. Those are the four stages of every single job. Um, and and I would assume, even though I'm, we're talking about photography, that in some ways, those are the same stages of every single job as a freelancer. Yeah. answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, truly, truly. Um, it's, the, it's the same for building websites and, you know, from graphic designers that I followed, they have stages to them and they basically iterate in the same way. Um yeah. You spoke about uh agents and their uh role. You know, you don't have an agent. What's the role of an agent for a photographer specifically?
1: So there's the so when people think about having agent representative, a lot of the conversation well, let me say I'm trying to sound I'm sounding definitive. I don't know what the words on the street are anymore, mm. but a lot of times people think about agents as I get this person, this person then goes out and like kills all the animals that I get to eat. Right. And that isn't uh, from all the conversations I've had, even interviewing agents myself, that is typically not how an agent talent relationship works mm. in any circles other than let's say you're t- taught the people we see on Instagram, <laughs> like, and on TV, Yeah, those might be a little bit different, because there's a lot of like managing that person's p- persona that all this other stuff that yeah. goes into it. And those people have whole teams. So but in this like sort of photographer agent model, it, like there's a lot of, especially as a photographer, there's a lot of symbiotic uh, relationships. So I, I'm i putting together my portfolio. I'm updating my portfolio. I'm talking to my uh, agent or manager about what type of test work I should be doing to move my portfolio in certain directions, elevate it, mm. provide more commercial versus fashion, to have more fashion, excite clients. Like it's a whole like, collaborative conversation and most agents aren't going to take you on unless you have a book of work that's unless you're either so sought after and you haven't you just don't know how to handle that Mm. or you are somebody that already has a book of work that's already six figures plus yeah because you have to remember that like when an agent takes you on that first six months or a year is pretty much dead time where they're only making your house account the rate on your house count as they build up people knowing that they represent you and all these other things. right? And then does the pipeline start to fill up a little bit. So it's a, it's a really long-term relationship.
0: So the photographer seeks out the agent or the agents know enough about the photographers.
1: I mean, a lot of, I would say that so many agents have their hands full as it is. If somebody I'm not saying that I'm sure there's tons of agents that are prospecting and looking for new business to bring on to their, uh, roster there's agents that work in let's say there's an agency that has photographers and their areas are food and bed um and then lifestyle commercial photography yeah that agency might want to open up a fashion wing right or they might want to open up like automobile commercial photography and so in that regard there's probably going to be a bit of research and diligence on their end uh on our development r&d if a agent uh, agency is well-stocked, you know, they have plenty of talent, yeah. there might be a little complacency there. They're mm. generating enough business and they might not go looking for new talent if they don't need it, or they might get new talent because somebody else referred them, but they might not go like pounding the pavement for like raw talent. Yeah. So there are, it goes both ways. I've seen a lot of the younger to sort of mid-range talent. I often see those people outreaching to agents themselves and oftentimes they're doing it because they're stuck either at a plateau Mm. or because they aren't getting the traction that they like to get and they're sort of making it, but not making it enough. And so they're looking for a boost. And those two categories are usually going to make it harder for you to really propel yourself with an agent.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try to wrap up. Uh, I know I said 30 minutes. Um, I want to oh, take to your honest. time, dude. yeah <laughs> I'm here.
1: I'm here. I got it okay. too so
0: there's a um I wonder if you can like speak to specifics um not with you specifically because I know that's a very um you know uh no one wants to review their personal uh stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: that's okay but, i'll I'll see as close as I'll get as close as I can.
0: yeah, I, I think you're the right person to be asking all of these questions because I feel like there's a level of transparency you have with, you know, things when you share information online. Um, Let's give like some ballpark ranges of like, you know, where early photographers usually are. We know there's a lot of I'll build you
1: a, I'll build you an estimate right now. Oh, this wonderful. video is not going to go on the podcast, right?
0: No, not the video.
1: Okay, so all right, so I can use my calculator as yeah. I go. Okay, so let's let's work backwards. Um, let's just say if you have a, uh, um, it's the beginning of your career, you have like a, a brand that's not going to be fully involved in what you're doing. They're sending you some clothes. They want you to put together a shoot and you're trying to be like the scrappy, you're, yeah. you're the scrappy photographer that's just trying to make a name. You might be able to charge somewhere in the neighborhood of like, let's just call it 5,000 just to have a plain number so we can have buckets to jump up from. So of that 5,000, depending on who you are as a photographer, the main people in your head, uh, you're going to try to navigate some stuff. Uh, depending on the brand, you might try to reach out for friends, the model, if they're okay with that, since they're sending you clothes, they probably will be okay with like attractive looking friends or whatever. Um, but you'll probably try to pay the least amount of people as possible, but you're still going to have to pay some people. So the $5,000, let's just say, um, you're able to give trade to the model. So that's not a big deal. You get two models. Those are free. The brand's going to send them clothes. Now you still have $5,000 left, but you need a hair and makeup person. Um, if you have somebody that's also junior like you, you might be able to get away with paying, you know, five hundred bucks or seven fifty a person. I'm, I'm don't hold me to this, but let's yeah. just play that game. Yeah. So let's say the max is seven fifty each. So uh, you, you, it costs you fifteen hundred bucks uh, total. And to be fair to this, you also can find hair and makeup people. That will do it for less or do it because it's going to be good for their portfolio you also might be able to find um a person a hair and makeup person that does both so i'm just i'm just making up numbers yeah. so now we have 3500 dollars left now depending on if you need to shoot this inside a location or you could just shoot this on the street that's going to depend right. so let's just say you have to shoot it in a, a studio environment and you have to rent a little bit of equipment um so you go to a budget studio. Like X Studio in Brooklyn that charges by the hour, or you go to another low-rate studio and you're going to pay somewhere between you know two hundred and fifty right. and a thousand dollars. Just and that involves some cheap equipment or some decent lighting that you can get by with and whatever and some seamless paper whatever. So let's just pretend that that call center is somewhere between a thousand and fifteen hundred dollars. So we'll take we'll just take a whack at twelve fifty in the middle. Oh, let's mm-hmm. round it out. Let's call call it fifteen hundred to get a place to shoot, and then you got to feed these people. Um, because that's the least you can do, especially with a lot of people working under budget, et cetera. Right. And let's just say that costs you another two fifty. So you have seven, 1750 left, and that was kind of in the area that I wanted to get, which is like I would say I would never really want to take a job less than fifteen hundred. That's like friends and family type of stuff. But yeah. that gets you seventeen fifty, and now you can decide. Okay, I either I showed up for fifteen hundred for the day, and I and I charge I way undercharged for my retouching. You'll probably get a cheaper space. You're probably chart. I mean, there's a l- lot of ways where you can make it reasonable. Yeah. But that's sort of like where the junior, junior, junior person is going to probably be landing. And that's realistic.
0: That's really from what great. I've
1: seen. Yeah. Now we go up to the next tier, which is going to be like basically like shooting e com and lookbooks, probably. Yeah. Um, and the client's probably going to be somewhat involved and on set. Uh, so let's just say the client's handling most of the dirty work for you, like booking the models and doing all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, so the models are off, but now you actually are in charge with everything else, the space, the equipment, the crew, uh, the photography, the retouching. And let's just say the budget goes up to 15,000 just Mm -hmm. to, to make it fun. And so now you need a professional uh, photo space because now your client's going to be there and you don't, you don't necessarily need the top. You don't need to go to milk studios, even though that's not there (laughs) anymore, but you do need a nice enough space to fit more and more bodies in. It's not going to be just a skeleton crew. So you go with a place where the, uh, the day rate of the studio is probably going to be a thousand to 1500 before equipment. So let's take off 1500 off top, and then you're going to need to rent lighting equipment. So that's going to be at least another thousand at minimum. Um, probably a little bit more, but let's just be friendly and I'll see if I have budget left. Uh, then I'm going to need my, I'm going to now hire assistants in a Digitech because I need, I need to be able to focus on the shoot in a job and I don't need to be doing every single job on set. Yeah. So my first assistant's going to probably cost me somewhere in the neighborhood of $500. My Digitech's going to probably, at the bare minimum, cost me somewhere around $750.
0: Hmm.
1: Mo- this is going to be somebody that's new, younger in the game too, right. and in some cases, or you have a cheap, uh, a lower budget client, and they're okay with that. Um, so seven fifty, then you might be able to pay. Sorry, there's a
0: no, no worries. No, it's, it's, it's okay, New York. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's New York. That's true. Um, then you've got then you've got uh, maybe the the Digitex package. Like so if you instead of you just bringing your laptop and then working off it, maybe you want to pay for them to bring the extra monitor. So the client's yeah. not over your shoulder. So let's just add, subtract another 500 just to be conservative. So now I'm at ten seven fifty, and I haven't hired the crew. I haven't hired, uh, and I and I haven't decided whether I'm outsourcing my retouching. So l- now let's check the boxes on hair and makeup. So mm. I had said at first like seven, two, you know, dollars Now legitimately, your hair and makeup person is going to probably cost around a thousand to fifteen hundred bucks, and you're probably going to need two of them. And maybe the shoot's not so crazy, so they don't need assistance. Like we said, it's only fifteen thousand dollars to budget all this stuff. So let's take a haircut of three thousand dollars for those mm. two people. Mm. Now we're at 7750 Uh the, the client may be the food source, but since we're handling the whole production, let's go ahead and take on catering for ourselves at, with a crew of, I'm guessing, at least two models, two hair, makeup, Digi, first assistant, we're at six, plus yourself, plus the client. We're probably around 10 to 12 bodies on set yeah. at the end of this. So let's go ahead and budget another 500 to 750 to be close and round this out, let's call 750 for craft services. Now we're at $7,000. Uh, and now we're starting to get into the nitty gritty of like, okay, what about my equipment? What about right. my, you know, so let's go ahead and take a haircut of $1,000. Uh, I'm not saying, well, actually, let's leave that to the end, because that's money you're making. But it is a call center in some ways or shapes mm. or form. So $7,000, what else do we have left to pay for? Um, we have to eat our day. We have to get our day rate, So We have to pay ourselves our day rate. We have to pay ourselves for our own equipment. Um, and then if the client has any retouching demands that we agreed to take care of the retouch and we have to figure out whether we're outsourcing or not mm. a, a photographer that is sort of retouching is in their wheelhouse. They're not shooting more than three days or four days a week. Right. Uh, I, I would guess, and I was doing this myself, you're probably going to do your own retouching. Mm. So that being said um we'll keep the retouching money we'll keep the day rate obviously day rate is blended usage fee um i'm trying to think if there's anywhere else where i would subtract your ubers to and from set let's subtract another you mm. know 100 bucks um anybody else that might require uber to and from set let's subtract another 250 so we're at 6 650 uh, any other curveballs that might come there's always a chance that you might need more equipment than you had you needed on set because something changed. Right. So we were at, I think a thousand, whatever. Let's just take whack off another 500 because I said I was being conservative anyway. So now we're at around 6,000, 6,150. So now from that you would probably pay yourself as a day rate somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,500 to 4,000 for this yeah. sort of middle tier. Um, so let's just go somewhere in the middle and say, you paid yourself 3,000 or 3,500 as your day rate which seems super fair. And then you got something around $2,500. Now you can make that if you're going to do the retouching, right? or you're going to split that with somebody to do the retouching, or you're going to pay them the entire sum to do retouching. Really just, you know, depends. Yeah. Um, if you have a guy or, you know, have a guy, I don't mean that as a gender specific thing, but if you have a guy, <laughs> yeah. you'll probably be able to negotiate decent rates. And so you'll always be working collaboratively together and you're just give him what you can afford. And he'll be like, yeah, that's dope. Let's make it work. Blah, 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 As long as it's not more than X amount of images and whatever. Yeah. So that last 2650 dealer's choice. Yeah. Right. And so that was a $15,000 project. And you might've walked away with five to 6,000 of which some of that's your take home. And some of that might have to divvy up at the end.
0: I couldn't even, you couldn't have broken that down more perfectly than I had it in my <laughs> head. <laughs> that was great. You, you gave a really, I'm trying. Yeah, man, that was really good. Yeah it's I, I came into the conversation thinking i wanted something and you really delivered it
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, the one the one caveat i'll say is like when the when the jobs get like i did a campaign for a an auction house to not name a name yeah and on a job like that usage uh, one of the things you always need to ask your client is where are these images going i yes. know i didn't bring that up earlier um, because that's a whole other can of worms that might not be easy to accomplish in this right. conversation but well, you always want to ask where these images are going because it's just going web and social. That's an easier conversation. Yeah. If somebody's blown up billboards in three major cities or they're running uh ad in GQ that's color, uh, if they're if they're um, you know, there's a lot of places images could go. Yeah. And the more and more places they go, the more global, the more worldwide, the more you should be able to argue for your sort of your day rate is gonna be packaged with that usage rate, but the more you should be able to argue for a higher and higher rate. Within reason, because you're not a celebrity photographer, uh, the client's always going to have a top budget, and sometimes some of that budget's going to go. The, you're going to be basically splitting the highest paid. You're going to be the highest paid people on set: the photographer and the models, gotcha. people that have usage terms. So right. within that conversation, you might you're going to hit a max cap until you're like famous and they just desperately want to work with you or you have a following and they want to tap into that as advertise like all that kind of stuff. So yeah. in that usage conversation that we're kind of putting to the side, I forgot to also say, you know, uh, that campaign that I was on, there was a lot of pre-pro calls, but there's also like I had to walk the site, do a location scout. We we didn't get a pre-light day. Sometimes photographers get a pre-light day where you and your crew come in with the client, set up what you think is going to happen, how you want to execute gotcha. and get a reasonable understanding of how you can just get started from the next day. Yeah. Um, so those are all sort of pre-production things, but we had to scope out like, okay, how are we gonna run the the, the run of show? How, you know, which rooms are we gonna start in? Who's going to be shot in which area? stylists might be there to talk about what are we going to, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And on those days, there's a rate I would add to my day rate as well. That's gotcha. Call it a third or a half of what my day rate would be, and so you're, you know, that would be priced in. So that 15k budget might go to 25, might go to 20. I mean, it just depends on what type of shoot and what yeah. kind of campaign it is.
0: Yeah. Oof, that's really insightful, man. That's a lot to like taken but i think that was super comprehensive um i think i'll save the second topic that i had in mind for um another chat which was to kind of model how to start a business from uh i think we kind of touched about that the last time we spoke um how to go from zero clients to um a bunch of clients, some clients. I kind of (laughs) want to talk about, uh, El Camino using that as like a, an example of how to build a brand from nothing into, you know, something that's like noteworthy. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that would be really helpful uh, for people who are building small businesses or people who are entrepreneurs trying to build like big businesses um, like you are.
1: Absolutely. Dude, I'm happy. Uh, You're right. It's probably a little bit separate, podcast episode yeah. um so yeah i'm happy to have more conversations and we can also tackle what that looks like because i'm i coach people too so I, we can tackle mm. what it looks like as a brand we can tackle what it looks like as uh individual freelance independent whatever yeah. and and for when it crosses over because you know a lot of people are brands and creatives and you know and it, and it's a little different too there yeah. so i'm happy to tackle those nuances with you
0: I'd love that. I I could use that right now. I'm building something (laughs) from like zero experience. So, you know, I'm kind of just um, pretty sure you're familiar with um, Terry Augustine, who is like my partner from back in the days. He's been like knee deep in like building, helping businesses with their email strategy. He formed an email marketing agency and he's been like going hard. So he's been like my, he's been my coach, (laughs) Um, but yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But thank you so much for this, man. This was really, really good. Absolutely. Super good.
1: Any time, dude. Don't don't worry about, like, unless you don't want me to be saturated in your audience,
0: (laughs) I'm always down to help people,
1: especially if they have melanin, dude.
0: (laughs) All right, folks. That's it for this episode. If you like this topic and want more like it, leave us your feedback on our review page or send all of your questions to the email linked in the show notes. Catch you next time.